ever, have you ever been in a situation where you found yourself working really hard doing the wrong thing? Have you ever been there? Um, uh, when, when I was 15, I was on this quest uh, to be the best tennis player I could be. I, and uh, I had a cousin who uh, uh, was really, really good. I'd watched my brother, my older brother, win a state championship in Oklahoma. Both my cousins won state championships. And, and my, one of my cousins uh, was a phenomenal tennis player. He went to the University of Colorado to play tennis. He was a big eight champion. And uh, when I was 15, he was um, a pro at a country club and giving it a shot to kind of go pro in tennis. And, and so my parents bought me a ticket, and I got to go hang with him. And it was really fun. And, uh, and I was motivated, man. I was, I was fired up to be there. And, um, and he was at, in his office at this country club. And I, he could see out his window. And I, I had taken a shopping cart. I mean, I'm talking Walmart shopping cart full of tennis balls. And uh, I was loaded up. And, and I went out there and I hit serves for an hour. I mean, it took me an hour to hit all those tennis balls. And, um, and after I finished, Gary walks out and he was like, what are you doing? And I was like, uh, getting better. Uh, he, goes, he goes, Chris, you've just wasted, I watched you waste every moment as you hit those balls. I was like, really? What are you talking about? And he said, you know, you, Chris, come on, man, you got to think about this. He goes, you know how to hit a serve. He goes, but you're just going through the motions out here. You're just, you're just swinging a racket. He goes, you're not like trying to hit a kick serve wide or, or hit a flat serve down the middle or you're not hitting spots. You're just out here just going through the motions. You've wasted your time. And I thought to myself, dang, I mean, I, I'm, I've worked really hard and, and I don't want to work this hard for nothing, you know, ever again. But I'm thankful for my cousin, Gary. He was phenomenal. He was right. And, and he had the courage to not worry about my feelings, but tell me what I needed to know. That, that's kind of what today's message is. This is not a real great, oh, super, it feels good. But it's an incredible message. And there are times when we open God's word and, we, and God tells us something we really need to know, right? This is one of those days. Now, it's an incredible passage. We've been going through the book of Acts, and it's incredible as we discover Acts chapter 4, verse 32. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn there in Acts 4. And it's this incredible moment as, as we've, we've tracked through Peter and John, and, and they went through Acts 2 and Pentecost, and, and, and 3,000 people came to Christ, and, and their lives were changed. Then uh, the last couple of weeks, we've been in Acts 3 and 4 when, when Peter and John were going to church, and there was this man that was crippled, and, and all of a sudden, John and Peter, they heal him, and, and they preach a message, and now 5,000 people have come to Christ. And, and you see, this is the moment moment where the church began. Now, it's important that we recognize the context here because now the church is, is beginning and is at work in the world. And, and, and I'll tell you, this is an incredible moment because the early church is modeling for us some very important lessons that we need to hear as God's people, as a church planted right here in Owasso. And, and it's incredible as we embrace God's word today. And I pray that we can, we can be inspired by the work of the early church, but also that we hear the warning that we're going to hear today. 
Because here's where we're going to go. We're going to be in Acts 4, verse 32. We're going to track all the way through chapter 5, verse 11. So we got a pretty good chunk to dive into today. So would you stand with me and let's read together. Acts chapter 4, verse 32. And we're just going to read together verses 32 through 35. It says this, Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. But they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. And this is the word of the Lord. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, now, now the early church wasn't perfect. They had, a, they had made some mistakes. And, and, but, but here they were understanding and embracing the calling in their lives. Now, the truth is there, um, there are a lot of people that simply count the days of their lives. But, but we need to understand that God has called us to make the days of our lives count. And what we see right here in the early church is they are, they are right in the middle of, of serving the Lord. Now, you know what God says about the church, right? Jesus told us that, that the church was going to work in the world and the gates of hell would not prevail against it. I mean, think about that. I, I can imagine the gates of hell being a pretty difficult foe. But what God says about the work of our hands is that, is that the gates of hell will never prevail against the church. And you and I are called to be faithful followers of Christ, planted where God has planted us, and serving the Lord and honoring him and walking with him. And, and I want us to see some very important lessons here um, as, as we recognize God's call on our lives. First thing, if you have your notes, follow along, I hope. Um, point number one today is I want us to see that the unity of God's people results in an eternal impact. Do you know that we're called to this place? Not we're not to waste our time. We're not, to, we're not to just do stuff. We're to be following Christ and, and, and focused on, on paying attention to the voice of the Lord. And God has called us to, to make an eternal impact here. We're stewards of God's work in this place. God, in his wisdom, has called us to live at this time, in this place, working together, listening to him, following him, using everything we have for an eternal impact. Folks, the stakes are high with the work of our hands. And I pray we feel that. We recognize the responsibility that we have as the church. Eternity is at stake for people around us. And God has called you and I to be focused ambassadors, ambassadors for Christ following him. Now look at, verse look at verse 32. It says, now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. I want you to see the unity of the church here. They were, they were unified. They were of one heart and one soul. 
Now, you know, today I, I, I do this most Sundays, and we, a group of pastors that are in this town and kind of around here that I love and respect, and, and uh, there's a lot of guys getting up doing what I'm doing today, preaching the Word of God, and, and we've been praying for one another. I sent, I've got about nine text messages on my phone of, of guys back and forth saying, hey, I'm praying for you today as you preach the Word. And see, God's church is alive and well, and it's growing, but, but the reality is you and I are called to this place, to this, this passage of Scripture. And what I love about what God's doing in our lives today, in our church body today, is that right now, Rob Lewis, at, on our second campus in Cal, at Calvary Baptist Church, that we've just started this, this joint one church in two locations, they are studying the same passage of Scripture that we are. And God is unifying our hearts together and called us together to make a difference where he has planted us. I love it. You see the unity of God's church and God's people coming together to make an eternal impact. Now, Jesus prayed for this. I mean, I love this, how Christ was, was preparing the church to follow him. And in John chapter 17, that's really the Lord's prayer. And, and, and I've got it on the screen behind me. But Jesus, as he was about to go to the cross, he prayed for the unity of our church. He said this, he says, um, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That's us. We were the ones that were going to come after the, the apostles and the disciples. And here we are 2,000 years past the time of Christ. And Jesus prayed for our unity. He said, I pray for those who will believe in me through their message, that they may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world will believe that you sent me. And from the very beginning, Christ has been uniting a church together, saying, look, let's be one. Let's go forward in unity, focused on doing the things that he's called us to do, not wasting our time, following Christ, unified. And what will happen is the world that doesn't know Jesus will look at our unity and go, man, Jesus is real. God is at work. And I love this. We see this going out. Jesus says, um, he says, I've given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Folks, we've got to recognize that God is calling us to this city, in this place, to, to, for the Holy Spirit to use us to make an eternal impact. And this is why following Jesus for us must not ever be mildly important. Following Christ in our lives is to be of utmost importance for all of us. And as your pastor... As, 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 a, as a, one of the men called to shepherd you and to lead you, we've got, you've got to recognize that my job is not to do the work of ministry for you. My job is to equip you to do the work of ministry in this place, in this, not this building, but this city, this community, this state, this country, and this world. And folks, that's what we're called to. 
And and it's important that we work on and we pray for the unity of our church. And this is why if you were at Family Matters meeting last Sunday night, we asked all of our church body, and if you weren't there, I'm asking you today, like Robin and I put an alarm on my phone that that there's a, my alarm goes off every day and for 15 minutes we're praying for our church, for God to lead us, for God to use us. And I want to challenge all of us to do that, to, to set an alarm on your phone, to remind yourself, let's wrestle in prayer together for our church and for God to use us as we move forward and as we are faithful stewards of the ministry he has given to us. See, I love it because he said that God's word tells us they were of one heart and one mind. And I pray that we recognize that our unity will result in an eternal impact. That's what God's called us to. Second thing we see in this passage is that generosity characterizes the life of the church. And and, and look at this. Look at verse 32. He says, And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. Now, you've got to understand the context of this this passage. This isn't Christian communism here. This isn't uh, everybody going, I guess we're going to be the Christian Woodstock and all live together and, and hang out together. That's not what this is. This is God's people recognizing that, that, look, God's blessed me. God's given me, he's called me, he's changed me, and he's gonna use all that he's given me to impact the kingdom. And, and we're gonna be used together to help one another, to be there for one another, and to walk with the Lord. And here's what, here's what the idea that these people were embracing, that, you know, right here, they retained ownership of their goods and their houses. It's not like they, they sold their houses and moved in together, they, they, or sold everything they had, but what they understood is that, God, you have given me resources, and I will allow you to lead me with every one of them. And see, this is the heart of what, Christ, what, what Jesus has done in our lives. He is, he, you see in this passage what the early believers were doing. The sale of their goods were voluntary. They were, they were, they were looking at what they had. They would see a need, and they would say, you know what? I don't need this thing, so I'm going to sell it, and I'm going to allow it to be used to be a blessing for the kingdom of God. They voluntarily looked at, at, at all of their resources, and they said, you know, I can do without that. You know, it's incredible how God was, they, they saw needs and just met them. And, and the, the big emphasis in Acts 2 and in the early church, they were making sure they were caring for one another's needs because there were so many needs. And it's an incredible picture of God's people coming together saying, you know what, we're going to help one another. We're going we're to help one another through life, through the ups and downs and struggles. And this is what I love about how God does this in our church. I see it all the time, how our church rallies around one another and helps one another walk with Jesus, helps one another through tough times. That's why, as a, as a church, generosity is, is just something that comes out of us. And this is why we're, you know, you see all of our mission shirts today. There's a lot of mission shirts around. This is why God has moved us to, to build the mission. And, and, and it's through this, this work, it's, it's this discipline of giving that, that we're going we're gonna to set up a system in the life of our church where, where we are constantly giving to people in need in our community. And it is us being the hands and feet of Jesus as we work to provide all this, this new building that we're going to build. 
and, and God's going to use it to help us share the gospel with the world. And as we do this, as we ge- give generously, as we minister to people and help people, a lost world will look at us and go, man, Jesus is real. Because we've got to be a group of people that put our faith into practice. And you've got to recognize that when you follow Jesus, you're moved to generosity. And here, it's this idea, and I want you to see the heart of these early believers. It, it's almost like they, they had looked at all their stuff, and they said, Lord, we're going to look at it like this, not like this. You know, we, we talk, Robin and I talk to our children all the time about, you know, the gifts that they've been given, that God has given them. And we say, look, don't hold your gifts like this. Hold them like this. Lord, I, I give this to you. We tell our ambassador baseball team, the guys that I get to meet with every year, and and we say, look, you're good at baseball. Don't hold your baseball like this. Hold it like this. Because when you recognize, God, I'm going to give you my gifts, God does supernaturally more than you could ever imagine. And it's my prayer for us as a church. We learn from this first century believers that here's, here's what they did. that They, they lived with this mindset that, that we're going to hold our things loosely, that we're not going to hold on to our things. And this is what I see so often with, with Christians is they, they go, oh, man, this is my stuff. I want you to know nothing that you own is your stuff. It's all God's. God's given you everything you have. And he's given us way more than we need. And when I look at our church, what God has given us, to whom much is given, much is required. And here's the thing. This first century church, they were coming together. They were generous. They they, they held their things loosely. This was a group of people that recognized, God, you are the provider of all of our stuff. You've provided everything we have. These were people that said, you know, things are resources to use. They're not something that makes us important. We live in a culture of consumerism where, where, oh, like our stuff makes us important. No, it doesn't. Our stuff are simply resources that God is going to use in the world. You know, um, here's here's another thing that you, this the first century church, their spending revealed a Christ-focused priority. That's what they were doing. They, they, the, the way they spent their money, that showed what, where, their, where their heart was, where their love was. And I guarantee you, you can look at your checkbook, and that will reveal where your priorities are. And see, it's my prayer that we are a body of believers that say, Lord, our checkbook will reflect Christ-focused priorities. And folks, I'll tell you, God has given us so much. This weekend has been fun. Emily's come home. She's here today, and I'm glad she's here. I miss my daughter. Um, She's been at college, but she brought like 50 friends, it seems like. They kept coming in our door last night. And and I got to talk to Ann. I'm going to embarrass Ann. Sorry, Ann. I didn't tell you I was going to do this, but I'm preaching. You're not, so I get to do it. Um, But Ann grew up in Mexico, her dad was a missionary, and, and she's lived her whole life on the mission field. And I said to her yesterday, I said, tell me, how, how, is, how is coming back to the United States impacted you? And she goes, you know, it's kind of been tough in some ways because we just waste so much here. He goes, she said, she goes, you know, we... Um, just because you can go to Walmart and buy something, does it mean you really should? 
I was like, no. Um, but, but we've been given so very much. And folks, as a church, it's, our, it's my prayer that we can become, hold one another accountable to be a body believers, of believers that say, Lord, we will give generously. We will, we will follow you. And then, then you see this incredible example of, of a guy named Barnabas. Look at verse 36. This, thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus. What's interesting about Barnabas it's, or Joseph, it's likely Joseph was one of these guys that was saved at Pentecost that happened in Acts 2. We don't know, but, but he's obviously a new believer, and he comes, and he's like, you know, uh, his life was radically changed by Jesus. And, and, it was, and he was a, a, a Levite from Cyprus. So, so he's this guy that was obviously came from some means, and he had some wealth. And in verse 37 says, he sold a field that belonged to, to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. And I love this about Barnabas because... Um, he was so changed by, by, by the Lord, the apostles looked at him and said, you're not Joseph anymore, bro. You're not Joseph. You're going to be known as the son of encouragement. You're, I mean, and this is a big deal. I mean, he, all he did was, was obey the Lord in this, in this field that he owned. And, and I'm sure he owns lots of things. But, but the truth is, God put on his heart, I'm going to sell this field, and I'm going to go put it at the, disciple, the apostles' feet and say, Lord, the Lord told me to do it, and so I'm going to give it to you. And it had to have been fairly significant because, but, but Barnabas didn't do, or he didn't do this for show. He did this out of obedience. And the apostles were so moved, they said, man, your name's going to change. You're the son of encouragement. I mean, you know, we have people like that in our church. There's a lady, oh my goodness, her name's June Dean. I don't know if you know June. She hasn't been able to come uh, to service in about a year. Uh, about a year ago, um, she was... Uh, she was in the hospital, and the doctor said, uh, I, I got a call from her son that, hey, she's only got days to live. And I was like, okay. So I, I go up there, and, and, uh, and we see June, and I wake her up. And uh, I was like, June, are, are you awake? You okay? And she wakes up. The first thing she says to me, oh, Chris, I'm so glad you're here. I was curious. What was the offering for the mission last Sunday? Because we had just taken up an offering. It was our one-day offering for the mission. And I'm like, June, the doctors just said you were going to die. And you're, the first thing you say to me, oh, I've been praying for the mission. Tell me about it. How's it going? I'm like, how do you even know it's going on? You haven't been to church. Oh, no, I'm there. I'm praying. And I just thought, I, I leave the hospital that day. I'm think, I, I walk in the door thinking, boy, I hope I can encourage June today. And I leave giving nurses high five going, that lady ain't dying, man. And, uh, and, and then last night, she posts on my Facebook. I mean, this is a year later. She's all over Facebook going, Chris, praying for you. Man, go get them. I, I tried to think of a female version of Barnabas for June and try to change her name, but Barnababy was the only thing I could come up with, and that's really dumb, so, so I didn't do that anymore. But I shouldn't have mentioned that because that was the dumbest thing I've ever said is from the pulpit. But, um, but the truth is, man, Barnabas followed the Lord, and God used him in supernatural ways. Now, now what's interesting is you look at chapter 5, and we got to hear this warning 
Because, see, what's interesting is what, what had been done in Barnabas's life out of love in a transformed life. You see Ananias and Sapphira. You see them, they had this motive of the praise of man. And, and it's interesting, in the early church, uh, you know, it's, it's one of the incredible things I love about the Bible because the Bible refuses to um, hide our dirty laundry, right? I mean, I mean, the Bible talks about David and Bathsheba, and, and it shows the failures of God's people. And there are times that as God's people, we can fail. And this is one of those moments that, that, that God's word doesn't hide the, the struggle that we will have as we follow Jesus, Look at verse 1 in, in chapter 5. But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property, and with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit, to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? Listen to this. You have not lied to man, but to God. Now, now the sin here for Ananias and Sapphira was not that they held some, some price back for their land. They, they, were, they were never required to give it all back. What their sin was, was, was they were trying to give out this false sense of, I want to be like Barnabas. I want the, the reputation of Barnabas. Boy, I like that. That was cool. I want to be known by that. But see, what they were looking for is the praise of man, not the praise of God. Now, Point number three is this, and we got to hear this warning, is that false spirituality always produces serious consequences. And we see this in, in their life. Now, 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 Ananias and Sapphira, what they were trying to do is they were trying to, to look good. They were trying to look good in front of all of the Christians and develop a good name selfishly. And what they did is they lied to the Holy Spirit. And folks, Jesus warned us of this. He said in Matthew 6, 1 through 4, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in their synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your Giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Now, it could have been tempting for Peter to go, hey, Lord, we need that money. Lord, uh, uh, we'll, just, we'll just accept it and overlook it. But when he came to Peter, Peter rebuked him. He said, Ananias, wait a minute. You're lying to the Lord. And, and, and folks, it was verse 5. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. 
And great fear came upon all who heard it. The young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. Okay, this was not like, uh, I mean, this was a moment that God struck him down. God just killed him right then. Now, there was no big $10,000 funeral or, or, you know, big preacher didn't get up and say all kinds of nice things. No, he said he buried him. That sounds kind of tough, doesn't it? That's kind of tough to, I mean, it's, you got to pre- prepare this to preach to you all. That's tough, too. Verse 7, after the interval, look at what else happened. About three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came and found her dead, they carried her out and buried her beside her husband, and great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard these things. Now, now what's the story teaching us? I mean, goodness gracious, what what is up with this? You have Barnabas, oh, it's so good, we're so generous, and we're doing so great, and then all of a sudden, boom, Ananias, Ananias and Sapphira. Well, do you know that the scripture talks about a sin that leads to death? 1 John chapter 5, verse 16 and 17 says this. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask God and will give him life. To those who commit sins that do not lead to death, there is a sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is a sin that does not lead to death. So what's that talking about? This sin that leads to death. It's this idea. Do you know that that, um, it's possible for a Christian to continue rebelling against God so much that God will take them out early? It's almost like a uh, dishonorable discharge. Now, now, once you're saved, you're going to heaven. I mean, that's the reality. I, um, there's debate on whether Ananias and Sapphira were Christians. I think they were. I think they're in heaven. I do. I think they were probably saved at Pentecost. I think that they were, they, they committed this sin that leads to death. Now, there are several people in Scripture that did this. Moses didn't get to go in the promised land. Uh, Achan Achan was a guy in the Old Testament that he robbed from God and, and, and he committed a sin that leads to death. And then Ananias and Sapphira committed this sin. Now, this sin was this idea that, that they were doing service to God for the praise of man. Now, folks... Um, a lot of people struggle with this. 1 Corinthians 11.30 talks about that some of you are sick, some of you are weak, and many are asleep. Now, I've got to be careful with this because at one of my, my first churches I served in, we were, going through, we were known for a church that fought. We were a church that argued. That was our reputation in town. And um, while I was there, there was a big rising of trying to fire the pastor and it wasn't right. It wasn't right. And uh, Robin and I went to some deacons meetings, and it was really terrible. I mean, just unbelievable. I'm, I'm thinking, this is not Christian. This is not honoring the Lord. 
And um, um, now I've got to be careful with this because there was a man that was one of the biggest opposers of, the, of, of that whole group. And he suddenly died of a heart attack. And we were like, whoops, might not have should have done that. Now, I've got to be careful because I don't know. I don't know. When, I, when we get to heaven, we'll find out. I'm not saying that everybody that dies suddenly dies as a result of that. But folks, let me tell you something. There, the Bible does warn us about this false spirituality. And this is why I pray for us. That we are a church, we are a group of people that say, Lord, we will, we will, we will just do what, what you've told us to do. You know, you told us to do the mission. No, we, we believe that. That's why we've, uh, we're wearing our shirts today. And, and you know, if, if, if 500 people gave $1,000, we'd be done. You know that? And, um, and, we, and I pray that we, are a, that, that we learn to tithe. You know, that, that if, if, um, you know if, if our whole church just tithed, uh, first of all, you'll never outgive God. And I, I challenge you, just tithe. Try it. I don't harp on money all the time, and I don't do that. Because I think that we should just be responsible to, to be stewards of what God has given us. Be tithers. You'll never out. You try it. You, you tithe for three months. You watch what happens in your life. God's reverse arithmetic works every time. It's unbelievable. That's why one plus one equals one when you're married, right? God's better at arithmetic than your math teachers. You, you, you try it. Here's the deal. Um, I pray that we're stewards, that we look at our stuff and say, God, you, you've given us everything. God, we're going to be wise in the way we, we invest, in the way we spend our money. We're not going to get in a crazy debt, and we're not going to make foolish decisions in our lives. We're going to position ourselves that we are can, we can give. We can't serve you, honor you. You know, um, man, I, I challenge you, tithe. Um, but here's the heart behind all this. Here's what, here's what I think God is saying to us. First of all, we've got to be honest with ourselves and with the Lord. We've got to remember that, that, that man looks at the outward appearance. God looks at the heart. Every time, for every one of us, God looks at our heart. And, and so for us to be honest today and say, Lord, look, I know you look at our, my heart today. That's why I can't hide from uh, sin in my life or I can't um, reject your voice when, when I'm disobedient. Lord, you look at my heart. A uh, second thing that's important that we see this in this, in this church, that, that we need to stay tender towards God and responsive to his conviction. For us to be tender to the Lord, tender to the voice of the Lord. This is why we say all the time that, that you should allow, you should move every time God moves you. You should respond to the Lord every time he tells you to move. That's why I love standing in worship because, you know, because it moves me. And I can't just sit on my rear when I'm singing to the Lord. I mean, we shouldn't, too many Christians are sitting on the rear. And they're not being stewards. And folks... Life's too short, and, and, and we're not just going to count our days. We're going to make our days count. And I'm so grateful for Gary speaking into my life and coming out as an athlete saying, Chris, don't waste your time. 
And I'll tell you, when we get to heaven and we're together in heaven, I think we will be. I think as a body called to this place, I think we'll be together in heaven. And I think we'll recognize that, hey, look, we were faithful to the Lord where God planted us during the time that he planted us. And man, look how God used us to make a supernatural impact. Man, that being a part of the church is the most amazing thing. Because we're going to help one another. We're going we're to give to one another. We do this all the time. We're going to serve the Lord together, impacting a community, impacting a city, impacting a state, impacting a nation, and changing the world. That's what God's called us to do. And as we live our lives saying, Lord, we will be a group of people that, that, that we are unified and we will follow you. We will learn that heart of generosity and, and we will give and be stewards and faithful and we will avoid that false spirituality that is so sickening to all of us. But genuinely say, Lord, we're, gonna, we're broken, we need you. We're not perfect, but Lord, everything we have, we give to you. You know, and, and hear me, when, when I use that analogy of the pastor and this guy down, I'm not saying that every pastor is always right. You know, there, there are times that pastors aren't right. And this is why I love our church, because we have this system of accountability where I'm accountable, and I should be. I mean, but I'll tell you what. You don't want to go against the voice of the Holy Spirit. Because we read that passage and we think, man, would God really do that? Would God really take someone out early and give somebody a dishonorable discharge, folks? God is just. And isn't it right to discipline our children? I mean, wasn't it right for Gary to walk out to me and discipline me that day and say, look, if you want to get better, let, let me just speak into your life? Isn't it right? For, wasn't it right? It was definitely right for my dad to correct me as I was growing up and learning and, and sometimes punish me. It's right for God to punish us. And folks, we are, we are naive if you think that you you can't go too far. Folks, if you're here today and you don't know Christ, it's naive and it's, and, it's, and it's wrong to live your life saying, you know what, I can reject Christ all my life and when I die, it'll be all right. We'll see how it works out. No, no. To live your life without Jesus there is no hope when your life ends. No hope. Do not reject the voice of the Lord. Because God takes sin so seriously that he himself left heaven, came to earth, and became sin for you and me and changed us, forgave us. Come to Jesus today if you don't know him. Are you being a steward? Are, are you being faithful with all that God has given to you? Do you hold everything in your life like this or like this? Let's be faithful. Let's honor the Lord and, and see like the early church, they saw 
crazy things happen. Our invitation is, we're, we're going to start it. And, and we have invitations here. And if you need to come and pray and, and just get on your knees and say, Lord, I, I just need to return to you. Maybe you need Christ in your life. Boy, come and we'll, love, we'll help you know how you can receive Christ as your Savior and trust him and put your faith in him. You know, maybe you need to come to be a part of a church. You need a church home. Maybe you need help. Let me tell you something. We're here to help you live life with you. Would you just listen to his voice today? Would you follow him? You'll never regret it. You'll never regret doing what God has told you to do, ever.